Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Cleveland Browniacs, a show where two moderately intelligent guys attempt to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browniacs podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennel and Joel Cade. Hey, Elliot, we're back. After a brief hiatus because I was sick, I think we missed our first week in six months or something. But um, well, I was sick too. I couldn't talk. I I felt okay, but I I lost my voice last week. I I tried to go on without you, but it just wouldn't work. Well, point is, we're back now. You know, we, we back and better than ever. Is kind of kind of got sick. Else's line. <laughs> <laughs> now my camera doesn't want to work. There we go. I think I got it. I think. Okay. Man, everything's going on. So, hey, since we spoke last, the Browns have won a game and lost a game. Um, I believe that's the case, right? Yes, yeah, that is correct. Well, they won a game um, brilliantly and lost a game absolutely in the worst possible way. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yep. think we've, I think the whole world knows about that, that they lost, and then Deshaun Watson was medically cleared to play, didn't play. And I don't really want to rehash that too well, much. Let me ask you a question before we get – started yeah. yet are you panicking is it time to panic oh yeah it's been time to panic since the get-go i panicked ever since they signed Deshaun watson didn't think it was a good move um, but I'll, I'll ask uh this in the form of a question is uh Deshaun watson getting what he came for when he left houston and came to cleveland let's rehash why did he leave houston in the first place and the reason was you know, really, that he thought that he was being subjected to uh, dumb team management and dumb coaching, and um, he really Which was probably didn't like... accurate. Pardon? Which was probably accurate. I'm just I think saying. so. Um, in many respects, um, I thought that uh, Bill O'Brien was probably a very poor general manager, and that he traded. Uh, too many draft picks uh, in order to build the offense. And wait a minute, you know, that's kind of what the Browns have done, isn't it? Didn't they trade too many draft picks in order to get to Sean Watson? But Bill O'Brien, I think in retrospect, is actually a very good offensive mind. And let's talk about the Bill O'Brien offense a little bit and what Deshaun Watson might have objected to. Uh, what Bill O'Brien did in my mind was set up kind of a triple option offense where he used a lot of uh, run-pass 
option to start off with. And then Deshaun was presented with kind of a triple option in which he would be able to run the ball. He'd be able to throw a screen pass to the player that he just started the RPO with, or he could throw the ball downfield. And that worked brilliantly well in his last year with Houston. He threw for uh, 4,800 yards and over 30 touchdowns with, I think, seven interceptions. He had a brilliant year statistically. Houston, however, went 4-12, and and Watson wasn't satisfied with throwing for 4,800 yards. He felt that he could do much better in an offense. Uh, maybe we could point to somebody like Sean McVay, I think, as the prototypic coach that Deshaun Watson would like to work with somebody that would give him lots of down the field opportunities and throw a lot of, of uh, long ball opportunities. And he mentioned during the negotiations when he was a free agent that or effectively a free agent, he's really under contract with Houston, but allowed to negotiate with other teams that he wanted to throw the ball 40 times a game. And he wasn't wanting to play dink and dunk. He was wanting to play long ball. If I got that about right, Joel, um, I think on the, the playing side, correct. I think there's a whole other element to this Watson thing in Houston uh, behind the scenes where this started around the whole kneeling um, situation went into some of the 9-11, not 9-11, but uh, the pandemic stuff. But really when it came to like the Colin Kaepernick kneeling situation and players standing up for um, you know their rights, which all NFL owners hate, but also standing up and trying to make themselves kind of a bigger part of the organization. And there was a lot of pushback by the owner at that point against Watson. Um, that owner went to his neighbor and said, hey, why don't you sue Watson, which his neighbor did. Um, that's the lawyer that's representing all these people. I mean, the NFL knows exactly what's going on with Watson. And I think there's been, and I call me a conspiracy theorist, there's been a concerted effort to, to kind of put Watson back in his place in terms of the NFL ownership to Watson because he was looking to become this like LeBron James style player that wants to kind of transcend the game, but also control his own destiny within the game. And the NFL wasn't going to have that. So in, in part, that's how a lot of the players got traded off okay. the team, all these kind of things. And so, kind of why he still to this day is remains the heel of the NFL. I mean, there's, there's other things on top of things like a lot of things that we think are, the problem are really a symptom of a different problem. <laughs> so, okay. So you don't think that it was football issues or on the field issues so much as the off the field uh, politics that I would agree with that. 100%. The McNair family okay. has a, a history of being a certain way and Watson wasn't fitting that mold. All right. I mean, when, when you come out and you tell your team that, I mean, this was public record. So I guess I can say this. I mean, when you come out and you say we can't let the inmates run the asylum, talking about your football team, um, people are going to get upset. Okay. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. And I would also say uh, further that the Cleveland Browns are probably or definitely one of the most socially progressive organizations in football have been Correct. from day one. And that the Browns have been at the forefront of uh, understanding the players on the flag issue and the kneeling issue and many other social 
uh, issues. In fact, we want to have some of the representatives from the Brown's uh, uh, charity organizations from the Be the Solution program. We're going to have them on the show soon. But I will say this. Recall that when Deshaun was negotiating that the Browns were an organization that he excluded and that exclusion was not made on the basis of politics, but it was based on the the uh, the reason was that the Browns were a cold northern city, not a warm southern city. The Browns mm-hmm. played on natural turf and Deshaun felt that he was a better player on artificial turf and the, that uh, Deshaun liked playing in a dome and the Browns didn't have a dome. So that's what he thought he would like to have in order to be the best football player that he could be. And the Browns didn't Mm -hmm. match his list. I mean, he ultimately chose the Browns because Stefanski and Andrew Barry and Winton sales pitched him. Right. And said, this is what we're thinking about doing with you. Watch the film, talked about offense, talked about, this is the the scheme we're going to do. This is how we're going to try this. This is going to work with you, blah, blah, blah. And that's what convinced him. Yeah, that's according true. to him. That's what convinced him. Now, yeah, well, I think was it the true. money? They, I don't know. Was it? I mean, he signed the contract apparently, or negotiated the contract apparently after he agreed to go to the team. I don't know if that's true or not either. But I'm throwing it out there, just point counterpoint. Well, I think the money had a great deal to do with it, but also it's true that the Browns. Well, there said, are other oh, teams on record. Throw the ball way more with you on the team than we did with uh, Baker. And, you know, they talked about the uh, 40 passes per game kind of theory and stuff like that. We heard that number thrown around during the negotiations. Uh, Was it true? Did the Browns change their offense for Deshaun Watson, or is it still the same offense that they had with Baker Mayfield? Uh, Well, they're running a completely different offense. I think what they're going through right now with Deshaun Watson is – He's actually now starting to play. They're starting to like put together. And I know it's like three games in, but they're putting together an offense around him. And the Browns are going through what every team in the NFL is going through right now, which is what works, what doesn't work. They do it every year, no matter who the quarterback is. This is what the quarterback's comfortable doing. This is what the quarterback's not comfortable doing. And Stefanski and Watson are really truly for the first time going through that process. And I think we saw in week three where we had the pretty big win there um, against Tennessee, a different offense than we saw in weeks one and two. There was less under center. There was less emphasis on the run game. There was more passing just Deshaun Watson out there, either in um, alone sets. Um, I can't think of the name. Empty sets. Empty sets is what they are. Or there are single back sets with uh, the back in protection or the back going out as a safety valve. And I think that's what Watson's comfortable with. The question is, is Stefanski comfortable with that? Because Stefanski likes to do the three tight ends, run the football, you know, yes. but that kind of offense is designed for a team that doesn't have a great quarterback, like the San Francisco 49ers. You take Mr. Irrelevant, put him in there, and, you know, he's got some talent, and Brock Purdy's a good quarterback, but is he a top half quarterback? No, but with that offense, you can prop him up to be a top-half quarterback. Well, you don't need to do that with Watson. And I think there's some growing pains between Stefanski and Watson playing out schematically in terms of what they do best. Well, yeah, I think we can get into that a little bit later. But one of my points is that 
the run first offense really needs to have a acceptable running game in order to work. The Browns still, uh, as of last week, and I didn't look up the statistic for today's show, I apologize for that, but the Browns were like number five or something like that in terms of the run-to-pass ratio in their offense. Mm-hmm. They were still running the ball a lot, even without Nick Chubb, but they didn't have any kind of success running the ball without Nick Chubb. They didn't have anybody that was gaining uh, four yards per carry, except for Pierre Strong, uh, who you know knocked out a really big run that pushed his average um, over four. Uh, for the I time. would I would like to see more Pierre Strong. I mean, um, Jerome Ford isn't a bad running back. He's not. Um, Jerome Ford's problem right now, if there is a problem with Jerome Ford, is that he's, in my opinion, a little bit too slow to the hole. Okay, so what happens in one of these zone reads is that you run a track. All the offensive linemen are kind of moving in one direction, and the running back runs a track. And they're looking for three different spots, outside, off tackle, cut back. And I think he's just taking too long to make a decision on where he's going. And in the process, the backside chasers can come and get him from behind. So when he decides to get into the hole, he may get one or two yards before a backside chaser comes back and tackles him. Um, Nick Chubb used to have this problem all the time until this year, and he kind of fixed that. Then he got injured. But I would like to see Jerome Ford just be more decisive on where he's going. And I I know it's his first year really playing in the NFL and that's going to come, but there are growing pains with Jerome Ford finding a hole. Now, Pierre strong, for whatever reason, either it's just sheer dumb luck or doesn't know better. He just like, okay, the hole's supposed to be here. I'm going to run as fast as I can to that hole. And I don't know if he just doesn't let plays develop, but he gets through the hole and bam, there he goes. So the Browns may be better served playing some more Pierre strong, at running back, and I know they got to work mm-hmm. Nick uh, Rick uh, Kareem Hunt in, but Kareem Hunt may be the ultimate solution there. He has the good balance between patience and hitting a hole. The question is, is he fast enough to make it happen? And you're going to have to work him back in. Yeah, well, you know, I don't have the uh, scouts' eyeballs that you do, but from my perspective, I see uh, Ford slowing down as he gets to the line of scrimmage and hesitating. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of tiptoeing up to the line of scrimmage. And I think really the 79-yard run that he had early in the season might have been bad for him because that's exactly what he did is he slowed down, uh, stopped actually, and then reversed his field, and he had a fantastic gain. And I think, you know, 99% of the time that doesn't happen. If you go up to the line of scrimmage and stop, they're going to clobber you. But this time it yeah. works, but he keeps on trying it again. And it, it it may not work ever again for the rest of the season, but he keeps on coming up to the line of scrimmage and then hesitating and putting on juke moves and stuff like that. And that just does well, not a... work in the NFL. It might work in college where you mm-hmm. can fake somebody out of their undershorts. But I, I I don't know that I I believe that that's going to work for Ford in the NFL. And I, I think that it's not that strong. Well, okay, first of all, strong has had success in limited small data samples in New England last season, as well as Cleveland this season. He does have a career average of over six yards per carry. It's not that he's proven himself, but the other running backs 
have proven themselves ineffective, um, possibly because, you know, they may not be that great right now, or it might be that the offensive line is letting them down. And in particular, both the left tackle and the right tackle have struggled so far. Well, I would say before we get to the running game situation, which I want to get to here in a second, I want to keep talking about running backs for a second. There's a parallel development for running backs like there is quarterbacks. All right, when quarterbacks come out of college, they go into the pro system, and if they haven't run a pro system in the NFL, in the in college, which most haven't, there's a transition to the NFL. And what it means to be open in college is different from what it means to be mm-hmm. open in the NFL. Okay? And, and parallel to that, what it means to have a running lane for a running back in college is different from what it means to have a running lane in the NFL. So I think Ford is kind of trying to learn what a running lane in the NFL looks like. You're not going to have the wide open gaps and the things you can run the Mack truck through. We don't have, you know, Alabama versus uh Bucktooth state on the Western side of Chickasaw County or something. You know, we're not playing those teams. All right. <clears throat> so you have to kind of understand like a quarterback understands that being open is a little bit more covered than what it was in college. Having a hole is a little bit less of a hole than what it was in college. Mm-hmm. And they close quick. And I think Ford's trying to figure that out in terms of the offensive tackles. I mean, one, I, I kind of like, um, I can't think of his name, the huge guy on the right tackle. Dewan Jones, 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 Dewan Jones. I like Dewan Jones. I think he's nimble. I think he's got to move. He's a rookie. And I think people need to understand he's a rookie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think certainly he should get better as the season progresses. Yes, but he's been kind of outmaneuvered uh, in the early going, um, and he's huge. So pe- people are going to run through him or run around him, and they're going to run around him. And he's going to be hard for him to transition and change spots. But if you're want to look for an offensive tackle, a right tackle in the NFL, I mean, that's who you want to look at. This is why nobody wanted to move Orlando Brown to left tackle because he's a perfect mm-hmm. right tackle. Yeah. So yeah, the big guy now to be able to lean forward and gain some yards for his running back. Yeah. I, I, I do want to get back to uh, Deshaun Watson, but let's continue on talking about the offensive line and the running backs since this is so interesting. Um, but I, I wanted to ask your opinion also, Joel, what's going on over on the left side with our, our big, um, you know, investment in Jed Wills, who we, gave a fifth-year option for $14 million next season. And by the way, I just want to say to all the people that I've been fighting with on Twitter that we're not trading Jed Wills. It's not because we don't want to trade Jed Wills. It's because no NFL general manager in their right mind is going to give the Browns anything for the right to pay $14 million guaranteed in 2024 for Jed Wills. So just shut up about that. It is not happening. We are not trading Jed Wills for anything. Thank you. Okay. okay. So I don't know. I, there's a lot going on with Jed Wills. Um, this may just be who he is. It, it may just be who he is. I, I think in some respects he's pressing. All right. He's he's trying harder than what he is. He doesn't react well. When someone does a counter move on him, it's like he's thinking out there. You know, it's like he's, okay, what do I do next? And not of it's like it's not internalized. I don't really understand what's happening with him. Either he just can't think on the fly, or he's just not practiced enough. I mean, he's played a left tackle for the fourth season. I mean, I don't, I don't quite understand. So, it, for whatever reason, he feels it looks like to me 
he's playing scared or timid and not 100% full speed. Maybe he's afraid of screwing up, which is causing him to screw up. I think there's some problems. Now, why the Browns pick up a... playing at this low level two years ago. I mean, I, I think, you know, he was making like rookie mistakes and stuff, but I felt like he was improving. Is he injured or something? It's hard to tell. I don't, I don't know if he's injured. Sometimes. I don't know if he's injured, but yeah, I mean, we've gone through entire seasons without knowing somebody was injured and we're sitting here like, what the heck is going on? And it turns out he's just injured. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Jed Wells, but they're keeping him next year because they don't have a first round draft pick to take another one. And it's not worth trying to invest in a left tackle on a second round pick. You want the, you want the top flight tackles. And they're just going to have to make do with what they got. It's just time for uh, offensive line coaches to make their money and figure out something with them. Well, at this point, there is no decision. The commitment has been made. Guaranteed at least for one year. Means that it's guaranteed. Right. For at least it's for one year. And if that one year buys them a first round pick the following year to take a left tackle, then that's what it does. Buys them. No, it doesn't buy them anything. It doesn't get them anything. It just gets them terrible play for 14 who are, million. Who are you putting in the spot? Who are you putting there? Say what? If you Jed got Wills. rid of Jed let, let's let's, let's, let's just say there. in a there let's is just say no in a, option. Okay, there but let's just no say option. in fantasy world there is an option and we can get rid of Jed Wills and his terrible play. Who are you putting into a spot? Well, if you're going to give me $14 million, I'll go sign somebody. That's that's pretty easy. I'll go. I'll okay, go and how many left tackles actually hit the market? Oh, uh, Not many. Uh, Not many. Uh, yeah, probably a bunch. I think there's probably you could go uh, buy somebody for eight million dollars, and he would be better than Jed Wells. Yes, he would. Maybe. Hey, we got to take our break here, Elliot. So, hang on. After the break, we'll right. get back to Kevin Stefanski. Right? We're going to get back on Stefanski and Watson. Yeah, let's, let's get right. back on that. So, after the break, we're going to talk about Stefanski and Watson. Hang on. All right, guys, we're back. Visit our sponsors. Pay us up a lot of money. You can just donate to us if you'd like. Um, that's cool, too. Uh, but after the break now, back to the Kevin Stefanski versus Deshaun Watson discussion. And, Elliot, what do you got for us? Well, you know, this is the point that I was going to make, uh, that I felt from a football standpoint, the things that Deshaun Watson wanted to do for his career – namely to insert himself in a high-octane downfield passing offense, uh, were not accomplished by coming to Cleveland. I wanted to see, I think right now, based on the personnel that the Browns have, namely that they do not have Nick Chubb, they really need to be fielding, uh, you know, four and five receivers at a time. Uh, Well, that's what they were doing week three against the Titans. Yeah, well, that's what they need, and they, you know, not not blocking tight ends necessarily, but if they're going to have tight ends, you know, two tight end offense, great. But they're going to be receiving tight ends, and um, they need to be throwing the ball downfield because there's no choice. There is no running game. If they are going to run the ball, uh, you know, maybe they can get some yardage out of strong, but until that's demonstrated, they're going to be doing stuff like running the ball with the jet sweep and stuff like that short oh yardage. God. I think uh, Kareem hunt 
maybe can run the ball a little bit, but they just don't have the personnel to outrun the ball 50% of the time like they've been doing. Well, I, a few things to that. One, I want to get on Elijah Moore because do not ever in any shape, way, shape, or form give him the ball on a jet sweep ever again. <laughs> ever. Ever. I mean, if you think Jerome Ford can't hit holes, go back and watch the, the all 22 of this situation. Maybe I'll do a separate video just on this play. Go back and watch the all 22 with uh, Elijah Moore on that jet sweep. There is a huge hole. Okay. There is a wall of blockers. And he decides instead of going in the hole to try to run around the blockers oh, and then cool. loses 20 yards. Okay. I mean, where are you going to go if you if you run around your own blockers? What do you think is on the other side? Well, you well, know, I'm the not other team is on the other side. I have not been a great fan of Elijah Moore. Um, I think that, you know, we just really, we were not fair to the kid because, you know, he was acquired for very little in terms of draft resources. And we hyped him up like he was a first class NFL receiver. And really, you know, he was a guy that we wanted to put in the slot and maybe we'll get some yards out of him. But there are other slot receivers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that could be used in this situation. Donovan Peoples-Jones comes to mind. Um, you know, th there are guys that we could play in the slot. Um, well, I don't think he's bad. I mean, I think he's a, a good slot receiver. You know, and if you can get that for a second round pick, then then I think you've, you've hit on that pick. Oh, I mean, no, he was not got... a second round pick. He was like... We traded, I feel what we did, but it was like we traded a third round pick for a fourth round pick and, and got uh, more in for the deal, something like that. So it was a fractional a draft pick. Okay, but I think they ended up with our second round pick when it was all said and done. Was that what it was? Yeah, and then we ended up getting a third back along with it. Something like that, but okay. So, I mean, but still, I'm I'm still happy with that as a trade, even for what Elijah Moore can do as a receiver, and we've seen him do as a receiver – I'm happy with that. Just stop giving him the ball on a jet sweep. That's all I want. Or teach him to hit a ball, hit a hole. Put him in the running back room and teach him how to actually hit a hole. So anyway, to your point about Deshaun Watson and the five wide receivers, I believe that's what we were talking about. Correct? Yeah. Okay. We got a third okay. round pick back for the second round pick. That's what we did. Yeah. Okay. And and Elijah Moore. So yeah. I think so the was... Jets were just trying to get rid of him. And we're like, okay, we'll we'll flop second and thirds. And you give me Elijah Moore, but I, I'm happy with that trade. I just don't want them giving him the ball around on an end around because he just can't do it. Another one of those situations where like what a hole looks like in college and the NFL are two different things, but five wide receivers. What, what do the Browns do? And I know this is the kind of the difficulty of us not having a show last week, what the Browns did different in week three versus the Titans versus week two in, in Pittsburgh. Okay, without Nick Chubb, the Browns became a very pass-centric offense. It became what you have described that Deshaun Watson wants the offense to be. A lot of wide receivers, a lot of options, a lot of RPOs, a lot of situations where he can just sit back, survey, and just throw the ball to who he wants to and play point guard. That worked. I thought it worked great. I thought the Browns were on a roll offensively. It's exactly what needed to happen. You you. Get him out there with five wide receivers. Give him a bunch of options. Give him a, a running back, four receivers, and a running back with a dump-off option. We're good. And his escaping ability has been helped help to negate some of the terrible play we've seen at left tackle. And 
I think he's been okay. Like, I thought that was really helpful, which I thought we're going to come here. We're going to clobber the Ravens, just come out with this offense and this defense because the offense was very much a ball control offense. The Ravens defense, their secondary is just non-existent. Deshaun Watson's going to pick this team apart. This didn't work out that way. As soon as they rolled out DTR, I knew that the Browns were in trouble. No rookie wins their first start. And the Ravens, by the way, just a little Ravens hate plug. They've beat a rookie quarterback on his first NFL start with the Texans. They beat a hurt Joe Burrow. They lost to the Colts backup quarterback. And then they beat a second rookie on an NFL and their NFL debut. So before the Ravens are like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then next week they're playing the Steelers backup quarterback. Who's a backup to Kenny Pickett for a reason. And Kenny Pickett isn't exactly tearing down the house. So, <laughs> The reason the Browns lost last week was because they started a rookie quarterback who looked like a deer in their headlights. I mean, he looked lost. And no running game was going to save him. Period. Yeah, no, I, I don't I disagree with that. And if you look at the stats, um, the Ravens were not dominant offensively against the Browns. Correct. But the Browns' offense was uh, completely non-dominant against Ball yeah, as simple as that. Basically, basically, they just didn't have an offense. So if you're going to go right. out there trying to win a game with a defense, this is what the game's going to look like because yeah, your defense is going to be out there forever. The game. Oh, that the the offense lost the Pittsburgh game. So, I what can you do, right? I mean, Deshaun Watson had to adapt after that Pittsburgh game, and the team adapted the offense. They became a different kind of situation in Week Three, and then he's hurt. I mean, it's just a step back and. You know, honestly, for people complaining that Deshaun Watson didn't play, would you rather be in a Cincinnati situation like with Joe Burrow? Right? The Bengals are one and three and have a hurt quarterback. Or they could have been one and three with their backup quarterback and now have a healthy quarterback going into week five. Which do you choose? I would rather have the healthy quarterback. Let Deshaun Watson sit. Let him come back ready for San Francisco. I even mentioned this in the post game with uh with John. I don't even care if he doesn't come back for week week six. If you want to start Dorian Thompson Robinson out there against the 49ers, just go do it because it's an NFC game. Every team in the AFC North is going to lose to that team. One team already has the other two are going to get their chance. And at that point, what have you really lost? It's, it's just a clean slate. Put DTR out there. Give him another week. If Watson needs another week, get him ready for the long term of the rest of the season. Well, yeah, I guess you've kind of changed my mind on on uh, Watson once again. I, I, you know, I I worry about Watson because I think that the, a lot of the same problems that he faced in Watson or he faced in Watson that he faced in Houston um, are very similar in Cleveland. I, I feel like Stefanski's offense is too similar uh, to the O'Brien offense. I think that they do need to open it up. I think they have no choice to open it up because I don't see the running Correct. game, um, able to support the traditional Stefanski offense that worked right. So well, uh, in yeah, it, Minnesota, we don't it's have the personnel to do that. Yeah. And it, I think there's no choice, but we're going to have to send, you know, three wide receivers and a tight end out and stuff like that. Um, four wide receivers, you know, stuff like that have got to happen in Cleveland because we just don't have the personnel unless it turns out that Pierre Strong is a lot better than we uh, 
think. You know, he might be that so-called diamond in the rough that comes out of nowhere. And, you know, he's the Leroy Kelly to the Jim Brown that, uh, that we lost in 1966 that I remember and nobody else is old enough to remember. But well, I'm, uh, not, I'm not ruling out Jerome Ford uh, at this point. I mean, I think if you can get him some experience, he does have good hands to catch. <laughs> I, I, I would put it this way. I would put it this way is that I think that enough things have gone wrong that um, Pierre Strong needs to have a shot to see if he's part of the solution. Um, Jerome Ford, with the present offensive line configuration, just has not had enough success. I think I'd stay with Kareem Hunt as a short yardage back, mm -hmm. but I think that Pierre Strong needs to have more playing time. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that you do need to have uh, reps for more than one running back. I don't believe in the one running back system, but I, I would get Pierre Strong involved in the game in the first quarter and see if he can gain some yards against San Francisco. Yeah. You got to make sure he can pass protect. That's the only thing. I mean, NFL teams go up to the line of scrimmage with two plays, a run play and a pass play. And depends on which one makes the most sense. That's what they're running. So, I mean, you got to be able to pass protect. I don't know where he's at on pass protection. I'm not giving up on Jerome Ford yet. I like what I see when he actually gets through a hole. To me, it's about training him to see a hole and get through a hole. And if nothing else, just tell him just light a fire under his rear end and get him through a hole. Yeah, follow him around with the broom. Down. Do not follow him around with the broom. You approach the line of scrimmage, man. I, mean, I remember when I was in high school and I was an offensive lineman and I looked over one time, watched running back drills, and the the running back coach had a like a, literally a broom and he would like say ready set go and he would swing the broom to hit them in the butt with the broom, and if they didn't fire off the ball fast enough, they got a a little spanking. I mean, I think that's what you got to do with Ford. You got to chase him down while he's running his alley, running his um, track. And like when the hole opens up, just swing the broom. You know, if he doesn't get through the hole, he's getting hit. I mean, just get him. He's got to stop playing timid. Hit the hole. You know, three yards positive is still three yards positive. Okay. Maybe we should have that on our show. If we don't have snappy comments on our show, we'll have somebody hit us with a broom. Yes. Make the show go faster. I think that's a good idea. Hey, before we, before we end this day, I want to ask you something. Mm. Is Taylor Swift destroying the nfl oh no no i love taylor swift uh if we have nothing but taylor we'll get her on the show how about that i think it would be a wonderful thing um let's have taylor swift on more often on more nfl teams we need taylor swift on the cleveland browns for sure well you know we do have adele adele has come out and said that she's a cleveland browns fan oh well okay that's nice but uh, taylor swift is on another level Another level than Adele. Oh, yes. Okay. No, All there's right. no comparison. I'm sorry. Taylor Swift is. Okay, let me put it this way. Before this past weekend, I knew who Adele was. I did not know who Taylor Swift was. And then I've had to, like, have my wife explain to me who Taylor Swift was, mm -hmm. then play some songs of Taylor Swift that I've never heard before. No, and no. Taylor Swift is like Jim Brown in the music world. There's no. She's like the Beatles. I mean. Taylor Swift is unbelievable. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and plus plus she's a manslayer. So, you know, beware. 
that's the only one thing I know about her is that she, she writes her songs about her ex-boyfriends or some crap. Yeah, no, she's really mean to her ex-boyfriends for sure. She she might take down uh, Travis Kelsey. Hey, do you hear what Bill Belichick said about uh, Travis? No. And he says, well, Travis has had many great catches in his career. This, if he succeeds, would be the greatest of his career. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we'll catch you all on the flip side. Have a great week. Go Browns. I I dated a Cincinnati Bengals cheerleader one time. Does that count? I I think so. I don't know if it was Taylor Swift level. It was not Taylor Swift. Not Taylor Swift. Please like and follow us on Spotify and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Go Browns!